Well, Happy New Year. I want to welcome you all out. Thank you for being here with us on this first Sunday of the new year. You know, it is that magical time of year, isn't it? That time when everything changes, that time when all of our dreams are realized, that time when life becomes everything we want it to be. It's the new year! Okay, most of you would agree with me, that's not exactly how it works, is it? In fact, the biggest change that seems to take place is that we've got to start writing 2015 instead of 2014, and let's be honest, we're not going to get that right until about mid-February. But for those of you here on our Colonial Heights campus today, I've got a special surprise for you. I've got something that is going to change your life for 2015. For those of you who ventured out on this very first Sunday of 2015 and are here at our Colonial Heights campus, I have decided that I personally am going to pay off all of the Christmas debt you accumulated in 2014. And not to be left out, our Midlothian, yeah, thank you, that's, you should clap for that, that's a nice gift. It's better than any I got this year. Out at the Midlothian campus, Pastor Buddy Ham has agreed to do the same thing out there. So, I'm going to cover here, and he's going to cover out there. Okay, that was a lie. <laughs> What's really going to happen is Buddy Ham is going to cover both campuses for us. So, let's hear it for Pastor Buddy Ham. Good thing he can't hear that right now. He'd have a heart attack. Because, folks, that's a lie, too. To be honest, neither Buddy nor I have the financial resources to pay off all of your debts. We also can't get you that job you want or the raise you want or a new boss that you want. We can't keep you on track on that fitness program that you've committed to for 2015. And we can't get rid of those 10... 20, 40 extra pounds you picked up in 2014. We don't have the ability to change any of that. And neither does flipping the page of a calendar from one year to the next. See, changing the calendar from 2014 to 2015 in and of itself doesn't bring any newness to our lives, really. But it is that time of year, it is that season that kind of causes us to think about newness. It is that time of year that causes us to think about, you know, wanting to improve. We want to kind of put off all those things that have been hindering us and we want to strive for growth. You know, you can call it whatever you want. You can say, well, it's a New Year's resolution. Or you can say, well, I don't do resolutions, I'm just setting goals. Or you can call it a personal renewal plan. But Whatever it is, there is something in us that has that hope for the immediate future, that hope for a new you and a new me. The question is, do we have instruction in how to accomplish that? As we look out into 2015 and we do have that hope for what's out there, how do we do that? How do we live our lives in that manner? How do we live our lives in a way to accomplish that purpose? How do we live our lives so that we can really live it up in 2015? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Those of you that were here last week remember the great sermon that uh, Pastor James delivered for us 
But you'll also remember that in his sermon, he had about 89 verses of Scripture, and he had 12 or 14 readers up here reading it all. You remember that? See, this week, I've only got three verses, but I'm going to read it to you in three different translations. So if you go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, and I'm reading first from the Holman Christian. It says, pay attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then out of the New Living Translation, they say, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. And then I think my favorite rendering of all comes out of the Message Bible, simply because the wording in that is so simple and down to earth, it really reminds me of how my earthly father would have given me the same instruction. It says, watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly or unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. So there's Paul's instruction to us as we look at the year ahead. And the first thing he says to us is, live wisely. Now, if you were going to try to gather some intellectual words of wisdom, maybe you would go to a college or university, a graduate school that you trusted and You'd sit at the feet of their learned professors to get their intellectual wisdom. But if you were going to get practical wisdom, I really think we need to go to a younger generation. And so this morning, I want to share with you some words of wisdom from elementary school students. The first is from Patrick, who says, never trust a dog to watch your food. Next, we get some words from my namesake, Michael. It says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. (laughs) Michael, the wise man that he is, also had something to say about moms. He said, never tell your mom that her diet's not working. (laughs) Young Randy said, stay away from prunes. Yoko said, never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. (laughs) Naomi said, if you want a kitten, start out asking for a horse. Lauren says, felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. (laughs) And my favorite one of all is Joel, who said, never pick on your sister. When she's holding a baseball bat. (laughs) Well, Paul gives us words of wisdom in Ephesians as well. It's not so much intellectual wisdom that he's sharing with us, but it's 
really more moral wisdom. He's, he's telling us how to live our lives in a way that is right and that's good and that's honoring. How to live a life that is fulfilling and a life that has purpose. And so he begins to share with us. And as you pick it up there, listen to what he says. He says, pay attention. Be careful. Watch your step. In the Greek, it carries the idea of exactness or strictness. In other words, what he says is we are to live our lives, we are to walk our walks in a way that has a path, a strictness, an exactness, an accuracy about it. We're to live our lives within the boundaries and within the borders that are set there by God. We are to make sure that we stay on the prescribed course, that we stay on the correct highway. We, we don't want to go off-roading with our spiritual journey. We want to stay where God is directing us. We don't get to walk through life loosely, just kind of going with the flow. He says we're not supposed to go wherever the tide takes us. Rather, we're to set a course and we're to aim towards a destination. We're to have rules to live by. And God's Word gives us those rules. But see, you have to be careful when we start saying, well, we're going to live our lives by rules because some have gotten confused because they've come up with rules, but they're not good rules. You understand that? You can have a rule that's not a good rule, right? For instance, I have come up with a rule for my life for 2015. I have decided that to finish off every meal, and this includes breakfasts, finish off every meal, I'm going to eat a family-sized portion of banana pudding. Some people like that rule. You want to join me? That's, uh, that's a rule. Could be a rule. I don't know if my wife will go for it, but it could be a rule. Even a tasty rule. But most of you would agree that it's not a good rule when it comes to my health. So the manner, as well as the act itself, is what Paul is addressing here. He said we need to have some boundaries in our lives if we're going to live wisely. We need to follow God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. An interesting thing that you pick up in the original language in this chapter is in the verses that come earlier in the chapter. Paul writes them in the imperative mode in the Greek, which means basically they're commands. First part of the chapter is all a list of commands of what you are to do. But when he gets to this one, which to us may sound like a command, it's not. It's written in not the imperative, but in the indicative mode. And what that means is it's simply a statement of fact. He's not commanding us to be careful. He's not commanding us to watch your step. He's just saying, you got to. It's what you got to do as you walk through life. You can't help it. It's a statement of fact. You got to watch where you're going. You got to watch what you're going to trip over. You got to watch what you're going to stumble upon. He says, it's just a matter of fact. As you live your life, be careful. As you live your life, watch out. And then he goes from telling us to live wisely to telling us that we need to make the most of the opportunities that are there. Literally what it says in that passage is, 
buy up opportunity for yourself. It is a term that a merchant would use when he understands that something has value to it and so he purchases it either to resell or to use himself. But actually it even goes further than that because it's a marketing term that means to buy up completely, to buy up all of it. So he says, buy up all the opportunities that God gives to you. My uh, father-in-law was one of the most astute businessmen I have ever met in my entire life. Whether you're talking about his farming operations and the decisions he made there, the, the growth of that business, or you were talking about investments that he made in the stock market and other places, or whether you're talking about things that he collected. He collected antiques and he collected guns and he resold all of these things. And he, he always made a profit. He always made money on what he was doing. Well, almost always. You see, my father-in-law was a tobacco farmer and the son of a tobacco farmer who was the son of a tobacco farmer. So for generations, that's what they had done. But my father-in-law, Dabney, as he was finishing up his farming career, he realized that things had changed, that tobacco was not king anymore, that, you know, you had all the non-smoking and you had all the health concerns and everything that went with that. And he realized it's not going to be like it used to be. And so he came up with the idea that, well, people were going to stop smoking so ashtrays would not be something anybody had anymore. They would be throwing them out. They would be getting rid of them. They would become scarce. And because they became scarce, they would become valuable at some point. And so he began to buy up ashtrays. He would go to flea markets and, and yard sales and everywhere. And he'd buy up, you know, the little standing ashtrays that people used to have in their house, those little amber-colored ones. He, he'd buy fancy ones that people used to keep on their coffee tables. He even bought the little tin ones like you used to have in the diner when you went in. I mean, he bought up every ashtray he could find. Well, my father-in-law didn't live long enough to see his ashtray collection become valuable. I'm a little skeptical of whether it ever will. But I do know this, that when my mother-in-law dies, my wife and her siblings are going to have the largest ashtray collection in the world. Now, where are we going to put it? I don't know, but we're going to have it. But you know, what he was doing is the same thing he had done other places in life. He saw this as an opportunity and he seized it. He saw this as an opportunity and he bought it up. And Paul says to us, he says, that's what it's like for us spiritually. We need to buy up the opportunities that are out there. We need to seize the moment. We are in the middle of playoff season in football now, whether you're talking pros or you're talking college. So everybody's getting excited. Even people that never watch football start to watch football during this time. As Will and Jessica, y'all had a good weekend, didn't you? Watching Michigan State come back and win. See, People are excited about it now. But you know, those of us who have been students of the game for a long time, who played it growing up, uh, we've discovered that it's changed a lot. The game of football has changed quite a bit from when I played. And no, it's not because they wear helmets now. We wore helmets when I played. But what's changed is when I played back in the dark ages, you huddled up for every play. You got into the huddle, and then you ran to play. You got back into the huddle, and you ran to play. 
And that's the way it worked. That's what dictated the pace of the game. And the only time that changed was when you got near the end of the game and you were losing. All of a sudden, there became a sense of urgency. All of a sudden, you did no huddle. All of a sudden, you were trying to score on every play. All of a sudden, you were passing instead of running. And you were doing all of these things because of the urgency and the context that that put the game into for you. Nowadays, most teams play that way from the opening gun, the opening whistle. Very few teams today use a huddle at all. They're always in a no-huddle, hurry-up offense, always trying to score immediately. It's, it's like we don't have the luxury of waiting till there's two minutes left and go into a two-minute drill. We need to do it now. And Paul reminds us that that's kind of the state we're in spiritually. We don't have the luxury for waiting for opportunities to come later. We don't have the luxury of saying, okay, it's no big deal. I missed this opportunity. I'll grab the next one that comes along because time is getting shorter. And as time gets shorter, urgency picks up. And Paul says, these are desperate times. And folks, we live in a time in which there is a world that is lost and dying and the time for them to make decisions is getting shorter and shorter. And we need to seize every opportunity to be the light and to tell people about Jesus. We need to seize every opportunity He gives us to serve Him. But then Paul tells us, understand God's will for you. Now, I don't want to confuse you on this because when you say, live wisely, make the most of the opportunities, and understand God's will for you. It sounds kind of like three steps, doesn't it? You know, here's one, two, three. Let's do one, check it off the list, and move on to two. But that's not what it is at all. It's not three separate steps in a process. It is a whole process. What does it mean to live wisely? It means to travel the path that God has given to you. Making the most of the opportunities with which He provides you and understanding God's will for your life. Listen again to the New Living Translation of the very last verse that we read. It says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. What is God's will? What is God's will for you? What is God's will for you in 2015? In the new year? You see, when we try to understand God's will, and when we talk about God's will, most of the time we equate that with the future. He's trying to figure out where God wants me to go, what God wants me to what's out there somewhere that God wants me to do and accomplish. That's what we understand to be God's will. Kevin DeYoung, in a book entitled Just Do Something, said we should stop thinking of God's will like a corn maze or tightrope or bullseye or a choose-your-own-adventure novel. 
See, what DeYoung is saying to us is, we need, not to, we need to free ourselves up from living our lives like we're in a maze. And we've got to figure this maze out if we're going to get to our destination, if we're going to get to what God wants for us. We need to free ourselves from the burden of trying to understand God's will now for what's in the future. See, God's will for us is this. That we just trust Him with every twist and turn along the way. Give it over to Him. And just trust Him with whatever's going to come up. There's some of you here today that need to hear these words from 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, It is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, Himself human, who gave Himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Folks, you need to understand that God's will first and foremost is for us to know Him personally. His will is for us to experience salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and a right relationship with Him. And so if you're in this building this morning and you've never experienced that, You've never entered into that relationship with Him. His will for you is clear from His Word. He desires that you enter into a personal, intimate relationship with Him. That you receive His gift of forgiveness of your sins. And of life everlasting. Eternity with Him. But you know, no matter who you are this morning, as James reminded us last week, God's will for us is to surrender to Him. As DeYoung reminds us, God's will for us is to trust Him. God's will for us in the new year is for us to give Him control and let Him guide us where we want to go or where He wants us to go. Listen to the relationship that God offered to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, which was his name at that point, it hadn't been changed yet, but the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you hear what he said to Abraham? He said, you let go. 
Let go of your people, your land, your father's house. Let go of those things you're holding on to. And trust me. And he said, I will bless you. And not only that, but I will use you to bless others. That's what God wants for our lives. That's God's will for us. What is God's will? It's that we let go. Let go of those things, even that are good, that we've been holding on to. And trust God to bless us with something better. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we stand here on this first Sunday, some of us look into the new year with excitement and anticipation. And honestly, Lord, some of us look into the new year with fear and dread, not knowing what it's going to hold and what it's going to bring. But God... You said, trust me. Trust me and I'll bring you salvation. Trust me and I'll bring you blessing. Trust me and I'll make you a blessing. Father, we ask simply that you would speak to our hearts wherever we are today. Help us to know how to respond to your call and your invitation on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.